Hello and welcome to the Anishinaabe History Podcast. I'm Chris Wade. Miigwech to Rico in Sulakout for suggesting this episode's topic. Today we're talking about a man whose life spanned two centuries, whose worldview spanned almost two millennia. His name was Joseph Medicine Crow. In World War II, Medicine Crow earned a Bronze Star in the American Army, but it was only one out of four tasks that he had to complete in order to be considered a bona fide war chief of the Crow Indians. He was a brave man. Medicine Crow fought against fascism on the front lines in the European theater. During his time in that war, he did many brave things. I'll talk about those in a little bit. First, let's go back to 1913, to when Joe Medicine Crow was born at Lodgegrass, Montana. This is an area by the Little Bighorn River. It is part of the Great Plains. The area is verdant and alive. Creeks flow into the Little Bighorn River. To become a Crow chief, a person had to complete four tasks. These tasks were called coup, which is spelled C-O-U-P. The first coup, and the most important according to Chief Medicine Crow himself, was stealing another man's horse without being noticed. In the old days, it was common to have a rope tied around your wrist and the other end tied around your horse's neck. That was in case your horse might end up too far away from your teepee. If the horse moved, the person would wake up and check on their horse. So, to get into an enemy's camp and steal their horse without waking anybody, including the horse's owner, who may literally be connected to the horse, was a difficult achievement. That's the first coup to become a crow chief. It is called capturing a horse. The second coup was to touch the first enemy to fall off their horse in battle. Sometimes the warrior would use an eagle feather covered coup stick to touch the enemy. Not kill them, but touch them. The third coup is to take away your enemy's weapon, whatever weapon that may be. The price of failure could be death. Victory meant life. The fourth coup was to lead a war party into battle. This responsibility only came after showing proficiency in the first three coup types. This is called counting coup. Counting coup was not an Ojibwe cultural practice. It was practiced by the Crow people. The Crow people lived upon the Great Plains of Turtle Island. The Crow people sometimes went to war with the other nations around them upon the Great Plains. In the year that Joseph Medicine Crow was born, 1913, the world was very different for him than it had been for his parents and grandparents. He was born in the traditional way, with burning cedar, songs, and a medicine woman present. His name wasn't Joseph Medicine Crow when he was born. He was given a different name at first. He was born on October 27, 1913. In Crow culture and in Sioux culture, newborns are given names by respected uncles. It is interesting to know that this is also done in Ojibwe culture. On that October day, a Sioux warrior who had been visiting the newborn's family was asked to give the baby a name. He was honored to do so. But before he gave the baby its name, he told the family a story. Quote, 
I'm glad you asked me to do that, he said, but I'm going to tell you a story first. I have been a warrior for a long time. I came over here to fight you crows many times, till the war days were over. Seven times you people shot me with bullets and arrows, and each time was winter time, but I survived all of them. I must have a good life, or a charmed life, or I must be tough. So I'm going to give this little boy a name that commemorates my experiences fighting you crows. I'm going to name this little boy Winterman, so that he too may be strong, healthy, and withstand many adversities in life. So that was my given name, Winterman. I carried that name for many years. For short, they called me Winter. End quote. Besides being given an auspicious name, Winterman was also given strenuous daily training by his grandfather Yellowtail. Yellowtail had the young Winterman, then just a child of about six or seven years old, running in the snow barefoot. Winterman did laps around the house every day. When his feet were toughened up, Winterman had to roll unclothed in the snow. This taught him endurance and fortitude. As harsh as this training sounds, there was a purpose behind it. It is also important to remember that after his training sessions in the snow, he was brought back into a warm house and fed. It was intended to be training, not child abuse. If you compare the age of training to ancient Sparta, they would probably be similar. In warrior societies, warrior training begins at an early age but to become chief requires even more personal effort and willpower than just becoming physically fit and mentally strong. To be chief means to be a leader, and to be a leader means to live by example. Grandfather Yellowtail also lived by his own medicine. He took cold water baths every day, even if he had to chop holes in the ice. Joseph Medicine Crow himself lived a long life. He was born in 1913 and died in 2016 at the age of 102 years. Winterman's medicine was indeed powerful. In his century of life, Joseph Medicine Crow had accomplished many positive things for the people around him. He died a respected man. What follows are some of his accomplishments. In Crow culture, being good at horse riding was a big part of living on the Great Plains. It was on horse that as a child, Joseph Medicine Crow got to and from school. He even received a saddle as a childhood gift. Medicine Crow graduated high school in 1934. Getting to and through both public and Baptist schools was a difficult ordeal for Medicine Crow. He had to deal with bullying, racism, and abuse by teachers. It was difficult for other native children in similar situations. Of the kids who went to the same high school as Joseph Medicine Crow, he was the only one of his cohort to graduate. Many quit. But Medicine Crow persevered. He didn't quit. He graduated high school and then went on to junior college. There he studied botany, biology, and geology. After a couple of years of junior college, Medicine Crow graduated, 
The year was 1936. He went on to another college, Linfield College, as a junior, and graduated from that one in 1938. Joseph Medicine Crow was the first Crow male to graduate from college. The year prior, in 1937, Joy Yellowtail was the first Crow woman to graduate from college. Medicine Crow himself said that college was difficult. When things got difficult, he would think about his family and his people. Quote, when I was leaving to attend Linfield College in August 1936, my Cheyenne grandmother, walking woman, was staying with my parents. As I was putting my suitcase into the car just before sunrise, walking woman heard the activity and woke up. She came outside and asked where I was going. My mother told her that I was going away to college in Oregon. The old woman stood there and looked at me intently a while. Then she stepped forward and turned me around to face east. As I stood there looking across the Little Bighorn River to the horizon, she burst into song. It was a wailing-type song that I had never heard before, but it is something the Cheyennes and Sioux do. I did not know if she was singing or crying. It was kind of a mixture. At the end of the song, she gave the Cheyenne woman's trill. Then she pushed me and said, Go! This was the traditional way Cheyenne women had sent their husbands and sons off on the warpath in the old intertribal war days. I can still hear her voice to this day. At Linfield, things could get pretty tough, and I was ready to quit many times. I had a hard time with accounting. Genetics was rough too. But then I would remember my Cheyenne grandmother sending me off to war. That memory kept me going through all my school days, and it gave me encouragement during the Second World War when I was an infantryman in Germany. End quote. In order to achieve your goals, you can't quit, especially when it feels impossible to succeed. If you quit, you won't succeed. But if you work hard, you can achieve difficult goals. In 1942, Medicine Crow entered the American Army, but it wasn't for another year that Joseph Medicine Crow was sent to the front lines. Despite coming from a warrior society, he didn't grow up in warfare. Instead, he grew up with stories from days gone by. Medicine Crow had a grandfather who had been a scout for General Custer's cavalry. The grandfather was one of a handful of Crow scouts 
who had escaped the fatal last stand of General Custer. A couple of generations after that battle, and Joseph Medicine Crow would grow up on a reservation, fighting white kids at recess. It was his upbringing, however, that helped Medicine Crow count coup and become a war chief of the Crows. He didn't fight against fascism simply to count coup, however. He enlisted because he had grown up listening to stories of warrior ancestors. When he returned from the war and told his elders his war stories, they told him that he had accomplished the four coups to become a chief. Medicine Crow was a private in Company K, 411th Infantry, 103rd Division. He was the only Indian in his company. He had an eagle feather underneath his helmet, and he painted his arms with powerful medicine. As an allied infantryman, Medicine Crow had to attack the Germans' Siegfried line from France. To get into Germany from this direction, the Allied forces had to beat the Germans back over the hills. The Germans were fortified in foxholes and pillboxes supported by artillery. In a failed first attack on the German position, Medicine Crow's company was gunned down when cresting a guarded hilltop. It was here that Medicine Crow earned his first coup. After the failed attack, the commanding officer ordered the company to blow up the concrete bunkers built into the hillside. They were shaped like old-fashioned pillboxes, hence the name pillbox. The pillbox bunkers were extremely difficult to breach because the defenders had the advantage of a protected position with high visibility that was difficult for attackers to even reach. It was because of the difficulty in destroying these pillboxes that Medicine Crow was selected to go. Quote, the CO said, Well, Chief, he always called me Chief, I guess if anybody can get through, you can. Get six men and go up there. Boy, it was a high hill, loaded with landmines, hidden bombs that would go off if he stepped on them. Before I could ask for volunteers, my closest buddy stepped up and said, Let's go, Chief. In all, six guys, my closest friends, went with me. I was glad only six came forward, because that made seven of us, and seven is one of the numbers Indians consider lucky. Before we left, the company commander ordered a smoke screen. We can't afford to let these guys go in plain sight, he said. So guns from the American side began throwing smoke screen shells on the hill to give us cover. Pretty soon that whole hillside was covered with a mass of white smoke. Then we took off. End quote. I think it's important to remember at this point that Medicine Crow was the only Indian in his company. What I'm saying is that six non-native guys stood up for a native guy literally fighting against fascism. They were all willing to put their lives on the line for each other. When the Germans saw that the Americans were up to something, they began tossing mortar shells down the hill. Medicine Crow had to reach a French supply site to grab dynamite to bring back to his American engineers. With a lot of luck, the seven men returned with 50 pounds of dynamite each. The Americans then used that dynamite to breach the German pillboxes. After telling his elders this story, they explained to him that leading men on a successful warrior's mission had earned him one coup. 
Madison Crowe's second coup came in March of 1944, on the German side of the Siegfried Line. He had been given command of a platoon who were to attack a German-held town from the rear. Madison Crowe approached a gate at the same time that a German soldier did. Quote, My reactions were a bit quicker than his. I hit him under the chin with the butt of my rifle and knocked him down, sending his rifle flying. He tried to reach for his rifle, but I kicked it out of the way. I dropped my gun and jumped on top of him and put my hands around his throat. Meanwhile, the rest of my guys had caught up. They wanted to shoot the German, but I still had my hands on his throat. He was scared. He began hollering, Hitler kaput! Hitler kaput! Hitler nicht gut! Which meant, Hitler dead! Hitler dead! Hitler no good! He was crying. Tears were running down his face. I felt so sorry for him, I let him go. Capturing that German counted for two war deeds. He was the first German we ran into that day, and by knocking him down and touching him, I had counted coup on him. I had also taken his weapon away from him, which was another coup. End quote. Counting coup wasn't about killing an enemy. It was about conduct in battle. It was a way to ensure that leaders could walk the walk and not just talk the talk, as the saying goes. In other words, Crow chiefs were expected to perform as leaders by example and not merely tell others to do what they would not. But to become chief, Medicine Crow would have to count one more coup. This time, he needed to capture a horse. His chance would come when his company was ordered to take a farm held by Nazi SS personnel. The company followed the SS troops to the farm silently. The SS were on horseback and Medicine Crow's company could hear the clip-clop of the horses' hooves all the way to the farm. The horses were being held in a corral while the SS troops slept. The American attack on the farm was to commence at daybreak. Medicine Crow saw his chance. Quote, As our commanding officer sat down with the platoon leaders to discuss how best to handle the situation, all I could think about was those horses in the corral. The decision was made to attack the farmhouse at daybreak. The next morning, when the CO finished telling the platoon leaders to take their men this way and that way, I said, Sir, Maybe I should get those horses out of the corral before you attack, because some of the SS guys might be able to escape on them. It would only take me about five minutes. The CO looked at me funny for a second, but he probably had an idea of what I was up to. Okay, Chief, you're on. That was all I needed. I took one of my buddies, and we began sneaking down toward the corral and the barn. We had to be careful in case a German was in the barn on guard duty watching. When we got there, nothing was moving. The horses were tired, just standing around. I crawled through the corral fence and came up to one of them. I told him, whoa, 
Whoa, in English. He snorted a little bit, but he quickly settled down. I had this rope with me that I used to tie my blanket. I took that rope and tied his lower jaw with a double half hitch, just like the old-time crow warriors used to do, and then I tried to get on. But it was a tall horse, and my boots were so muddy and caked up, I had a hard time mounting. Finally, I led the horse to the watering trough and stood on that to get on its back. I had told my buddy that I was going to the other end of the paddock behind the horses, and as soon as I got there I would give a little whistle. When he heard the whistle, he was to open the gate and get out of the way. Well, I got there and I gave the whistle. Then I gave a crow war cry and those horses took off. There were woods about a half mile away, so as soon as we cleared the gate, I headed in that direction. Just about then, our boys opened fire on the farmhouse. By now it was coming daylight and I could get a good look at my horses. I had about 40 or 50 head. I was riding a sorrel with a blaze, a real nice horse. When we reached the woods and the horses started to mill around, I did something spontaneous. I sang a crow praise song and rode around the horses. They all just looked at me. The Germans had surrendered quickly, and the firing was over, so I left the horses in the woods except the one I was riding and headed back to the farmhouse. After we had finished mopping things up and sending the prisoners to the rear, a company commander said, let's go, and we took off. There was a gravel railroad bed nearby, which made the walking a little better. As the guys took off down the railroad track, I was still on my horse. It was better to ride than to walk. I felt good. I was a crow warrior. My grandfathers would have been proud of me, I thought. But all too soon, the reality of the war came back. After letting me ride the horse for a mile or so, the CO yelled over to me, Chief, you better get off. You make too good a target. End quote. Capturing an enemy's horse was the fourth coup that Medicine Crow needed to complete in order to be considered a real chief amongst the Crow people. Medicine Crow survived the war. He returned to his birthplace and to his people. They held a feast for him, celebrating his return. At the feast, his elders asked him about his war stories and he told them. They told him that he had completed the four coups necessary to become a Crow war chief. Through hardship and self-sacrifice, warriors are forged. Leaders must go through even more than that to have the respect of such warriors. Chiefs must lead by example. The only easy day was yesterday, the Navy SEAL's motto states. So, when times get tough, remember Medicine Crow's grandmother's statement to him when he went off to college. Go! That's all for today's episode. Stay tuned for more episodes in the future. I'm Chris Waite, and this has been the Anishinaabe History Podcast.